0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith
2: Weekly.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly on this episode. Autumn and I are going to catch up after her vacation time in the Lone Star State, and we're also going to talk about Pride Month because it is going on right now in the month of June, and we've got a series at goodfaithmedia.org this week uh, uh, talking about pride and the church and how our LGBTQ Christians Uh, are faring in the church and in society today. It's a great series you want to check out. And then later on in the pod, uh, I sat down with Reverend Griff Martin from First Baptist Church of Austin and Miles Markham, who is a marketing director for the film Pray Away. They've got a screening next Tuesday on the campus of University of Texas uh, talking about the harm of conversion therapy. And so it's a great uh, discussion with them. So you want to stay tuned for the interview.
3: Arms folded, feet pacing the floor. It's written all over your face. The body doesn't hide our true feelings. It disregards promises made to keep the peace or just keep it to ourselves. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. We're giving our listeners a hand when discerning body language. That's our focus in season three. The church is called the body of Christ, so what does our body language say about perennial and pressing hot button issues? What's costing us an arm and a leg? Who do we give the cold shoulder and keep at arm's length? When have we put our foot in our mouth or turned a blind eye? Why are we still sitting on our hands? Where do we toe the line? And why is the kingdom that is coming not on the tip of our tongues? In season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll address these questions in eight episodes, and I hope you'll be all ears. The Raceless Gospel Podcast is looking at body language. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Episode one drops on May 5th. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Autumn, welcome back from vacation. Yeehaw. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I was kind of following you on social media this week. It looks like you guys had a wonderful time in Texas, but it looked a little hot.
0: Yeah, I love the heat. Like I grew up in central Texas. Hot means summer. It means freedom. And uh, and I don't mean in like the Lone Star bootstrap way. I just mean like freedom <laughs> from school and, and timelines. And it was really good. We Crammed in a lot of Texas in four days and got to spend some time with some friends of ours from New Jersey and sort of show them around, and uh, it, was, it was really, really good. We saw the cattle run and the stockyards of Fort Worth. We went to a Rangers game, and they beat the Astros that night. So that was really fun. Um, we went to the Fort Worth Zoo, which you and I know is a mm-hmm. fabulous zoo, and then we went to Six Flags, so oh we did gosh. lots of fun things.
1: Well, that sounds great. Well, what was the favorite thing uh, that your kids uh, got to participate in this past week?
0: Yeah, so our, our kids don't really know much about the cowboy culture. My husband and I both grew up pretty rurally. In fact, he was like the number two cattle judge in the state of Texas for a while. <laughs> you would never know to look at and him. And you
1: like, landed him? Like, Whoa. Listen,
0: I don't know what I did, Mitch. I don't know what I did to deserve such a catch, but... <laughs> Um, oh, he was also, we also like went up to his old high school where his dad was like principal and definitely got to see all of his like track, like trophies from like when he was, went to state so and track. I don't know how I landed you got to see him, the Rockets uh, trophy case. I got to case. see the Rockets accoutrements at his school. <laughs> yes. Um, but our kids sort of got to experience our Texas roots a little bit. We got to see the the Longhorn cattle and uh, to hear about the history of the rodeo and about uh, the cattle market in Texas. And we did some shopping and it was just really fun to show the kids all the things that Josh and I grew up going, going to town to do, <laughs> um, going to the big city to do. And typically we just sort of zoom through the Metroplex on our way to family families' houses at the holidays. And so it was nice to just stay there and just have some slow time with our
1: kids. Yeah. Well, uh, as many of uh, you know, and as you know, uh, we lived in Fort Worth uh, for several years. I pastored a couple of churches down there. And when our boys were growing up down there, one of our favorite things in the world to do was to go to the Fort Worth Zoo. I think it's uh, ranked like number four in the country, and it is remarkable. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's even gotten better since uh, I was down there. So I'm glad you had a chance to do that and share that with your kids. Yeah.
0: I forgot. We also took our friends to Babe's Chicken Dinner House. Oh! Which if you're going through North Texas, you have to go to Babe's Chicken Dinner House. It's the best fried chicken. It's all home style, and uh, your girl ate some fried chicken. And you know, I typically <laughs> don't eat a lot of carbs, but I definitely had some fried chicken. Get <laughs>
1: girl some chicken. <laughs> yes. Some green beans. Uh, so for and those of for those listeners who are outside the state of Texas, uh, Babe's is not Chick Fil A. So tell us a little bit about what no, no, Babe's no, no. is. It is. It
0: it's like if you went to your Nana's house on Sunday after church, and she serves like buttery corn and green beans and like a salad with a dressing that's like mostly just sugar and vinegar and mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh my gosh, our friend's from New Jersey. He ordered a chicken fried steak and he was like, what's this? He's pointing (laughs) to the gravy, bless his heart. I said, listen, gravy is a gift to us all. So what you're going to need to do is just take that gravy and put it on literally anything standing still on your plate. And he... We sold him. He was like, yes, chicken, uh, chicken fried steak and gravy is a solid Texas fare.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. What is this? What is this? Bless <laughs> his heart.
0: 40 years old, never had chicken steak, chicken fried steak and gravy.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, it sounds like you had a, a great time. We certainly missed you around here, but uh, it's always good to, to get away.
0: Yeah, it was. It was good. And we're uh, celebrating Pride Month. We We are
1: celebrating Pride. That's right. Uh, It is Pride Month. And we are celebrating at uh, Good Faith Media by running a series this week. You can check that out at goodfaithmedia.org by numerous authors uh, and columnists from around the country who are talking about the importance of pride and LGBTQ plus inclusion and equality, not only in the church, but uh, in society. Society at large and it 's been a great series so so autumn let 's talk a little bit about pride and uh, you and I both grew up a fundamentalist Baptist, uh, very conservative in our theology um, you know I can remember hearing sermons and lessons growing up about why homosexuality uh, was a sin and basically decrying anyone who was different than uh, uh, than Heterosexuality, and it was just, you know, I I just grew up in that and steeped in that, and then later came to the conclusion that that was totally erroneous and it was false, and there was no such teaching in the Bible whatsoever. It had to be misinterpreted to make those conclusions and draw those conclusions, and became an ally of our LGBTQ community and trying to help. Uh, advocate for their inclusivity and equality. So uh, what was your journey uh, to come to this point uh, where you have become an advocate for uh, not only pride, but uh, for our dear friends?
0: Yeah, definitely grew up steeped in the Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve culture.
1: Sure.
0: And I didn't really hear that from my youth leaders as much as the the senior adult ministry Um we always had kids in our midst. We always had uncles. We always had friends who were gay. And whether they were out or not, it was always like, oh, but you know, Uncle Jerry, he's he's different. We love him. Like, he's fine. And it's sort of, sometimes I see it like, the immigration issue like people are anti-immigration except for that one family like that we're all trying to help and when you put a face on the issue suddenly they're human and you can't talk about them that way and so that duplicitous message never really resonated in my brain it never really made sense i'm like well if it's fine for jerry then it must be fine for my friend jason too at school right um went to college uh really learned a lot from the I mean this is what it was called in my college it was called Queers and Allies and they would come in and speak to our classes about you know inclusion and what it means to be LGBT and did like these um, education Mitch education turned me into an ally not because of the woke liberal agenda but because when I learned more about the lgbtq plus community i was like wait these are maybe my people like i love these folks right, right. and so college is really helpful for me and i'll tell you i have learned so much um watching my kids who didn't grow up in this um you know sort of fundamentalist message about um about our LGBTQ uh, siblings, and so just watching them just sort of love with reckless abandon. And in fact, I wrote a piece that's coming out uh, Friday, so when this drops, it'll be out. Great. Um, about sort of navigating um, my daughter's friends' pronouns and what's th- what that has been like for us, and respecting them. And then talked a little bit about uh, some statistics that the Trevor Project has provided about um, how affirming and life saving it can be to. Re- to respect a young person's pronouns. Um, so anyway, I hope you'll read that, too.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to read that. You know, and I have to admit, that's one of the things that, and not because I'm not trying, it's just because I, I, it, my mind is trying to, to reset and uh, to use the proper pronouns, and I, and I hope that uh, anytime I slip, that grace is involved, because I'm really not trying to, uh, I'm really trying as hard as I can to use the proper pronouns, uh, and it, it's very important. And, uh, you know, what's fascinating mm-hmm. to me is watching this, in emerging generation, as you just said, uh, it just rolls off their tongue. Uh, it's just yep. uh, normal to them, which is great. So yep. now, you know, I, yeah, go ahead.
0: Obviously, there's, you know, I'll talk about this in my article, but there's also an element of code switching that the kids have to do because for some of their friends, their parents don't know. Right. So when they're in a social space, they use their pronouns that they prefer. And then if their family is around, they have, they really have to like be code talkers um, to protect um, sometimes the health and safety of their friends. And that's, that's a heavy and steep burden that that our kids are bearing. And I hope that all of us who are allies can do what we can to support.
1: Amen. Amen. And they need all the support that they can get uh, because they are being attacked right and left, especially, Mm -hmm. especially our trans community right now. Um, I know that you've taken a break from the news uh, over the last uh, several weeks and you've been out of town in Texas, but I was watching the Stanley Cup playoffs last night on ABC, and as you can imagine, it is primary time here in Oklahoma, and what that means is that the Republican Party tries to out-conservative itself uh, from one ad no, to the next. That sounds horrible. It's, it's terrible. I mean, the ads are just atrocious. Um, and there's some good people out there but the ads that they decide to run it's just like why are you running this it's just absolutely ridiculous you're better than this but anyway there's one candidate he's actually a US representative who's running for the United States Senate here in Oklahoma and uh his name his last name is Mullen um it's a Mark Wayne Mullen um and he's got a commercial right now that is is just evil autumn i mean it's evil it's sick Um, he walks to the screen, and his son and daughter walk next to him. And his first line is, Democrats can't tell a boy from a girl. And he points to his daughter and said, This is a girl. And he points to his son and said, This is a boy. And it's a direct attack on uh, trans uh, people uh, in this world. And it's just sickening. It uh, has no place in politics. It has no place in society. Um, I'm ashamed that it ran uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs on ABC, the ABC affiliate here in Oklahoma City. Um, it's hate speech. It's hate speech.
0: It is actual hate speech. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely hate speech. I mean, if you were to Mm-mm. take that same ad and uh, make it about race, they wouldn't run that.
2: Mm-mm.
1: And it's just it's 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 just gross. And so. Uh, So I I hope all of our trans listeners, uh, our LGBTQ friends out there know you have a friend and advocate here at Good Faith Media. Uh, We love you. We accept you. Are celebrate for- you! We
0: celebrate you. <laughs> That's right,
1: and we fight to every every day uh, for your rights and inclusivity in this country. Uh, God made you perfectly, exactly the way you are, and never be ashamed of that. And so, we just want you to hear. I that could
0: sing moment. some Lady Gaga right now if you needed to. You just let me. You just say the word, Mitch. I don't know if she'll give us the rights or not, but yes, we absolutely are here for you, and we're going. We're not going away. We're going to keep using our loud voices to advocate.
1: Absolutely. And one way we use that voice uh, is that we have been working with uh, the producers of the Netflix documentary, Pray Away. And uh, we've written about it. We've talked about it. In fact, uh, when the documentary was released on Netflix, and Pray Away follows uh, certain ex-leaders of the ex-gay movement or the Pray the Gay Away movement and how mm-hmm. they Uh, came to their senses realizing that that did not work uh, and that God made them perfectly the way they were. And it talks about the harm, and it actually shows the harm that conversion therapy does and how a lot of these quote-unquote ministries Uh, say they're not doing conversion therapy, but the reality, they are doing conversion therapy. And so the film is really excellent, Uh, but we've been working with the producers of that film to help promote screenings all across the country of this documentary, and we've got a screening coming up next Tuesday on the campus of the University of Texas. You'll be able to find more information in our show notes about that event if you live in the Austin area. But they're going to show the film, and they're going to have a panelist. Uh, Jen Hatmaker is going to be on the panel, uh, and others uh, there in the the Austin community. I got to sit down with the pastor at First Baptist Church in Austin, Reverend Griff Martin, and one of the producers and promoters of the film, Miles Markham, to talk about what the uh, screening is going to, to be like next Tuesday. And it was a great discussion. We talk about the film. We talk about what's going on in society today. And it was just a, it was, it was a really robust conversation. So uh, we hope that you enjoy it. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great interview. Marvel at Pacific Coast Wells. Wonder in rainforests. Explore wild coastlands and towering cliffs. Join Good Faith Media For a unique and immersive experience in the Pacific Northwest and Olympic National Park. Enjoy engaging conversation with your small group of adventurers led by our team, which includes a journalist, historian, and theologian. Join us July the 23rd through 30th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got two very special guests with us today. Reverend Dr. Griff Martin is a senior pastor at the First Baptist Church, Austin, Texas. Griff has a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Journalism and Public Relations from Baylor University, a Master's of Divinity degree from Truett Seminary, a Master of Education Psychology degree from Baylor University, and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Truett Seminary. Miles Markham is a Christian educator, LGBTQ plus advocate, and graduate of Columbia Theological Seminary previous to the film's release, Miles also worked with multi or Multitude Films as both the consulting and impact producer on Prey Away. Both Griff and Miles will be panelists at the screening of the Prey Away documentary in Austin, Texas on Tuesday, June 21st at 6 p.m. on the campus of the University of Texas. Prey Away is a Netflix original documentary highlighting former leaders of the Prey the Gay Away movement and the aftermath unleashed by their actions, while survivors seek healing and acceptance from more than a decade of trauma. Griff, Miles, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Well, Miles, let's begin with you. Our listeners uh, who may have not been able to see the documentary as of yet, can you tell us a little bit about the documentary? Give us a little bit of a a synopsis about Pray Away.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Hey, Mitch. Hello, everyone. Uh, I want to say thank you for having us here um i i also will share uh, i am a survivor of conversion therapy so that Mm. uh, was a big part of how i came to this project Uh, a lot of uh, my early role uh, was uh, consulting around um, the quote-unquote x lgbtq movement and so like you shared the synopsis this particular film uh, chronicles um of the individual trauma, but also the broader political implications of, um, so-called conversion therapy, but, um, any, any type of, um, non-affirming, non-inclusive LGBTQ teaching generally, uh, that's something that, um, we felt was really important to include, um, was to kind of fight back against the a stereotype that these practices and these beliefs only happen in the context of um, sleepaway camps or only happen in some of their more historical, um, physically violent forms like electroshock therapy and so forth. Uh, what we know is that um, this movement um, is alive and well, and we wanted to show more of um, the beliefs and the psychology that fuel it. So mm-hmm. uh, for audiences who are watching Pray Away, um, you're going to uh, step into that world um, through the narratives of um, former um, ex-LGBTQ leaders who share their stories and really kind of detail what internalized homophobia looks like when it's wielded outward. You also hear from... survivor somebody whose narrative uh sort of um encapsulates what it looks like uh, to enter into these ministries as a teenager and then to be uh, more or less um, trained um, to take on a leadership role themselves and then you're also going to hear from a a contemporary leader somebody who is still um, quite active and prominent in the ex-LGBTQ or quote-unquote former LGBTQ movement. Um, And through all of these stories, um, it's it's pretty clear. Uh, The message uh, from the film is that even in their uh, best-intended, most um, generous packaging, these teachings lead inevitably um, to harm emotional, psychological, and spiritual devastation.
1: And that's what I really appreciated about the documentary, Miles, is the personal narratives that we hear and follow along in the documentary. Um, it, it just the storytellers do an incredible job of conveying the harm. And uh, pain that they endured going through this type of practice and and then you know what it's done to them since then, and really just exposing the dangers of these practices uh, under the umbrella of conversion therapy. Upon the uh, film's release uh, here at Good Faith Media, we uh, released our own personal narratives. We sat down with uh, four different survivors of uh, conversion therapy, and had them tell their stories. These stories are incredibly important for people to hear uh, and and what is going on within the church. So, so Griff, I want to turn to you. As a Baptist pastor, why are films and stories like Pray Away so important to the work of the church?
4: I think it has to do with what you just said, that stories matter so much. Um, and talking about these issues through a narrative form and sharing stories is how people change. That's, that's how I changed on the subject. Um, I would imagine that I am like a lot of listeners to this podcast. Um, I started off very conservative Christianity um, and then had this journey until what I call my conversion into true Christianity much later. But part of that journey happened while studying as a college student, spending a semester at Focus on the Family, including looking at – what they did as part of their conversion therapy and my roommate at that time. um, And still one of my closest friends who's now come out of the closet, went through some of that therapy while he was there and then continued to do that for eight years until he found freedom was able to be who he is. And watching him go through that is what changed my faith to be welcoming and affirming, but also seeing the pain that was done to him, through that therapy has just opened my eyes. And I think most of the church isn't aware of how horrific this is and the violence and the trauma being done in the name of Jesus. I think stories like this help remind us because as progressives, we can almost become a country club and forget what's really going on for us to be more vocal to say, and to share really the damage that is being done in the name of Jesus and trying to reclaim that. And also trying to say, we can't let this happen. Um.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And and Griff, just to follow up, um, you you, you talked about your story and coming out of this very conservative background to the point where you are now. And I think many churches are going through that, and many Christians are going through that evolution. Uh, If they haven't already gone through it, I think they're currently going through it. Uh, What advice do you have for churches who are trying to uh, to, to, to understand a, a new way of looking at Scripture and thinking about their LGBTQ plus uh, members and members of their community and how to relate them? How, what advice would you have for, for those Christians and for those churches who are, are, are grappling with this right now? I
4: think story makes all the difference um at first austin it was the fact that we had a lot of queer folks who were really brave to share their story and for us to love and for us to listen and let them lead the conversation and as allies to stand up to support them um, i think there are some great resources out there on the scriptures and how poor interpretations have really taken us so far off course here um, but i don't think you're going to win anybody through those arguments i think it is through love and relationship that all the difference is going to be made. Um, and I will tell you, uh, every church that I've worked through that is having this conversation, it is the grandparents that make all the difference. Um, it is the grandparents who say, no, that child will always have a seat at our family dinner table. Um, and I know that's what happened here. It was some of our senior adults who said, there will always be a place for everyone. That is who we are. Um, But it's not going to be arguing. It's going to be really listening and open minds and open hearts. Um, And if you're not there, then don't even start the conversation. I know Miles has worked a lot of churches having this conversation. What advice do you give, Miles? Yeah, I I can't
2: echo uh, you know what's already been said more about the power of story. And frankly, uh, I think that that is a part of the christian tradition uh, narrative testimony witnessing these are all things that are integral um to the christian faith across almost every expression and you know for folks who um are really i think um in- entrenched in a, a very specific worldview, a very specific kind of way of interpreting the bible I, I often point them um, to the Bible itself, you know, looking at things like the book of Acts um, and looking at the gospels and um, really being able to see the way uh, that um, God's desire, at, at least according to the very text, you know, they claim um, is is central, you know, and authoritative to them, has been to show up um, in surprising places to make a way where there is no way and things like this and so um i i find that is helpful instead of looking at um the greek you know or the hebrew and kind of taking it apart exegetically i think looking at scripture itself narratively and seeing the story of, of how the people who were quote unquote not of god became the people of god um, specifically uh, Gentiles, you know, non-Jewish Christians, uh, their inclusion in the church, I think, sets a tremendous precedent uh, for what it means to extend that same type of welcome um, to LGBTQ plus um, people in the church. So, yeah, um, narrative story being driven by testimony, being able to look, um, you know, at ideas like good fruit and bad fruit that also, you know, come out of Scripture. What? What are the consequences of these teachings? Those those sorts of ideas, I think, um, really do hold a, a lot of water um, with e- even more conservative um, Christian folks.
1: And I think both of and you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry,
4: I was say just to finish my story and to add on what Miles said. With that roommate, with folks in the family, I was theologically trying to figure out all of this, and then one afternoon he called me. It was Easter afternoon. And he had come out to his family and come out to his pastor. And Easter morning, he was denied communion at his church. And he called me sobbing. And without thinking, the first thing I said was, if you need me to, I'll be on a plane this afternoon to get to Carolina and to give you communion. And my theology shifted because I heard his pain. So I think for churches to say, we need to be close to where the pain is, especially the pain the church is causing. And if they're not there, they're probably not ready to even start this conversation.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think what you both laid out is can be expressed multiple times. What you just laid out was the story I heard time and time again in ministry that either a family member or a good friend or a coworker comes out and That they 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 absolutely adore, love, have an incredible relationship with this person, but now they know something about them that they they either suspected or didn't know previously, and so then they're put into a position of questioning their belief system that maybe they have grown up in and trying to search for a different way to to think about uh, this particular issue, and so it's it's just it's such a fascinating evolution. Of, of personal relationship and theological reflection that, un, that people undergo when they're, they're trying to come to grips with with how to relate uh, in a in, in a healthy way to the LGBTq+ plus community and so I appreciate everything you just said I think you're exactly right and, and I appreciate all the, the the wisdom that you have provided us today so uh, miles let's shift gears because we've got an important event next Tuesday at uh, in Austin Texas on June June 21st at 6 p.m. on the campus of the University of Texas. And I'm certain you're going to tell us how people can register for that event in Austin. But we've got a screening of the Prey Away film, and it's really exciting. So tell us a little bit about the screening itself, the panelists, and why people in the Austin area need to attend.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) A tall order. Well. I, I think I'll start by saying that um, from the very beginning of making Prey Away, uh, the team was committed um, to um, ending with a film that served the movement to end conversion therapy. And so the whole heart and the whole mission of making this film uh, was to be able to support Uh, National, regional and local organizations uh, who have a very serious stake uh, when it comes to this issue. And so uh, this Austin screening was um, something that the impact team for the film um, wanted to make sure we had down on the books because of the current uh, climate around LGBTQ issues Uh, nationally but particularly in Texas, right? Like we know about all of the different bills that have been introduced, specifically bills uh, that target uh, transgender people and transgender children um, in in particular. And so the Austin screening, um, we're really hoping, um, is an opportunity um, not just to, one, um, provide education around, again, how prolific Um, These beliefs and these issues still are today, Um, but also uh, to cast a vision um, for hope um, and to create um, some clear, concrete, actionable steps around what people, what viewers of this film, um, what advocates and allies can be doing um, to help support ending um, these practices once and for all. So um, the screening itself. Uh, will be at 6pm. Um, that's when the film is is going to start. However, we're having a panel discussion that follows the film and on that panel um, will be me. Uh, <laughs> as, you and Griff. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, Rachel Hill, um, who is the Government Affairs Director of Equality Texas. And then joining us uh, will also be Uh, Jen Hatmaker, um, who many folks are quite familiar with. Um, She's an author, speaker, advocate, um, a faith leader, um, and also, you know, uh, a mother of an LGBTQ person. And so she'll um, be bringing, you know, all of those different perspectives to the panel as well. Um, Yeah, I think uh, in addition to that, we have um, Representative Celia Israel, um, who. The listeners might know as the Texas state representative, um, somebody who's been a very vocal uh, advocate for LGBTQ people across Texas. Uh, We also have uh, Casey Pick, who is the senior fellow for advocacy and government affairs. Um, Casey Pick is also, um, like me, somebody who identifies as a a queer Christian. And so she also brings a uh, kind of faith informed approach to all the work she does for that uh, organization And then uh, also joining us is uh, Andrea uh, Segova, the senior policy and field advisor for uh, Transgender Education Network of Texas. So uh, quite a few different vantage points um, all being presented here, but all of us are united around this idea that not only um, do uh, conversion therapy and ex-LGBTQ types of theologies mm-hmm. and practices. Um, need to end, but we can end them. Uh, We can all be contributing in some type of way to seeing a day uh, where no person ever has to believe that um, there is something inherently sinful or broken about gender and sexual diversity um, and that there is this um, uh, impossibility around being able to integrate a faith and an LGBTQ identity, so... Um, yeah, that's, that's great. All happening. Well, it sounds like a,
1: a wonderful, wonderful event. And, uh, for those listeners who are in the Austin area, please, please, uh, register and, uh, and plan on attending next Tuesday at the campus of university of Texas, uh, on June 21st at 6 PM. So, so Griff, this is happening in your hometown. Um, what do you hope people will take away in Austin from the screening and conversation, uh, from the panelists?
4: I think that the hope is that we build community around fighting this issue and fighting for the rights of queer Christians and queer folks in Austin. Um, there is strength in numbers. I think that's the whole focus of the church. And so anytime that we can gather together and gather like-minded souls on this issue, I am all for that. Um, and any anytime also that we can be part of introducing what I think is the truer form of Christianity to a greater community, because... There's a lot of folks out there that hear Baptist and something like this, they are not thinking that we're on the side of this, that we are. So that introduction is always important in building community.
1: That's awesome. And so, Miles, obviously this screening is happening in Austin, Texas, but if I'm not mistaken, there are some others uh, that are in the works possibly across the country. Um, Is there a way for people to find out more about those future screenings in their area?
2: Yes. Um, I also wanted to note for this particular event, you can register through uh, any of Prayaway's social media uh, channels. The links uh, to the Eventbrite um, are included in the bios on Instagram as well as Twitter. And so you can find uh, those registration links um, at, at Prey Film. Um, but in terms of future screenings, uh, you can also find out information um, through the film's website. Right. And so that is uh, prayawayfilm.com. Um, I think we'll be able to have a way to include those links in the show notes as well. So folks um, who are listening um, theoretically will be able to click through um, from, from um, this podcast page. So um, at pray away film on all of our handles um, and And, yeah, there are several more cities that the film will be going to, will be creating similar events um, that, of course, are contextually representative um, at at other cities as well. Um, So prayawayfilm.com is where you can find out. Um, I I will note that we do know that for sure um, this film um, and a screening event will be going to Dallas, to Washington, D.C., to Orlando, Florida, um, to Chicago, and uh, Birmingham, Alabama as well. So those are the ones um, that we know for sure are
1: happening. Great. And you can find more uh, on their social media tags at away film and so across their social media platforms please log on to find out more about information more information about screenings in your area now before I let you go I've got two questions for both of you uh, just pertaining to what's going on in the country right now uh, the first question is this uh, we have made so many wonderful strides when it comes to LGBTQ plus equality and uh, and rights in this country but Recently, more states have, or many states have passed anti-LGBTQ plus legislation, as uh, was mentioned earlier in this conversation. Uh, Griff, why do you think these states have chosen this issue at this time to pass such hurtful and regressive laws?
4: I think nothing unites ignorance like a common bully mm. um, and a common enemy. And I think that we are seeing a lot of ignorance, bullying folks that uh, deserve so much better and so much more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I don't know why we're seeing so much of it right now, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know the church's role is to stand up against it um, because there's something truly evil going on right now. And we've come this far. We can't lose ground.
1: Absolutely. Now, Griff lives in Texas. I live in Oklahoma. Miles, I know uh, you live out in Los Angeles, which is a different uh, community uh, when it comes to welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ. Austin's pretty open, uh, but uh, and so is Norman where I live, but there are a lot of uh, political commercials on in my neck of the woods these days, and it seems as though they are targeting uh, trans people uh, when it comes to standing in their view, standing up against uh, LGBTQ rights and equality. So Miles, add your voice to this. Why do you think what do you think this is going on right now after we've made so many strides?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I, so I, I don't think I actually shared this in the top of my introduction, but I, I am a transgender person. I am uh, trans and non-binary. And I think uh, something that I've observed, and this kind of precedes the last year in particular, even though 2022 has been uh, quite um, historic in terms of the the volume of anti-trans bills uh, that have been introduced, and of course, the ones that have passed. And um, I think that a part of this is related to uh, the general sort of like ethos of fear that uh, has been carried by a lot of people for warranted reasons over the last few years. I think um, living through COVID and um, the kind of polarization that... um, Things like vaccination um, didn't just um, intensify, but helped illuminate. I do think polarization has actually always existed, um, but the extent to which we see it now, um, at sort of the the popular sort of media level, has certainly <laughs> increased. Right. And and I think that what, what's interesting about trans people and trans communities specifically is that. Um, The opposition to our rights and our dignity does not have to have much information in order to mobilize people against us, in part because there is not this collective and public consciousness around gender, gender identity or sexism, um, you know, that exist. And so what people do is, and the opposition, I guess I should say, what the opposition does is they take advantage of the gaps that most people have in their understanding or their knowledge around gender. And so these uh, really inflammatory um messages are are spread far and wide. And so we look at something like um you know, what's happening in Texas around gender-affirming care for children. Mm-hmm. This is something um, that, by and large, is gender-affirmation is social. It's about haircuts. It's about clothes. It's about letting your child uh, tell you who they are and you continuing to call them that name and to use those pronouns that they've asked for. And yet, um, what all the rhetoric around passing this bill is, um, utilized was uh irreversible lifelong uh damaging changes they intensify um the notions of like surgical interventions and things like that and so i do think that that scares people i do think that um the idea that we are creating a vision uh for masculinity for femininity what it means to be um you know, more than one gender or no gender, all of that um, really um, it is new to a lot of people. And, again, the the opposition, at least politically speaking, takes advantage sure. um, of that newness, that uncertainty, and really um, builds a culture of fear around it.
1: And Miles... Miles, do you, do you
4: also think some has to do with, we're talking about fear and ignorance here. But I also think the joy that we see with the queer community of being true to who you are, there's a lot of us boring straight white people that have never done the work in our souls to figure out who we are and all that we've not found within us. Do you think that also leads to fear and ignorance here is we're just so scared of the unknown and so many of us haven't done the work to be true to our own souls? Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean... I've always uh, found a lot of resonance with the phrase that hurting people hurt people. You know, this idea that, that anytime, um, you know, we're making decisions or we're sharing messages that are harmful um, to other people and specifically to entire communities, um, that's likely coming from a place of pain. Um, that's likely coming from um, a sense of scarcity, you know, that there is, is not enough space or room for you to be healthy and to exist and to be able to thrive and so um i i certainly think that that's a part of the bigger problem here is um these narratives around there not being enough uh uh, enough of it money resources god's love whatever whatever the resource is um there is this this idea um that somehow um to create more inclusion, more belonging uh, to try and build a world where we can all be safe, Um, but that's just not possible. And so um, that I think that is sort of a bigger picture idea that we need to be working on as well.
1: Well, that was a great, great answer. Thank you both for, uh, for sharing your wisdom on that. It's just, again, uh, turning on the television these days, seeing local political ads, it just, it's just disheartening to see, to to know how much progress we have made yet still have a lot of work to do. And that's why, uh, films like Pray Away are so important and conversations that are going to take place like they are on Tuesday night in Austin, Texas, uh, are vital to building community and understanding. So thank you both. Well, before we let you both go, we've got one final question that we ask every guest. And Griff, I'm going to begin with you. Our tagline at Good Faith Media is, there is more to tell. So in light of what we talked about today, in light of the conversation that's going to unfold next Tuesday, Griff, what is your more to tell?
4: I think my more to tell always is that true, authentic Christ-following is about love, belonging, and justice. And if we can get there, we will be closer to the grace, the peace, the freedom that is the kingdom of Christ.
1: Love it. And Miles?
4: Yeah, I love that, Griff. (laughs) Um,
2: I think that my more to tell um, is tangential, uh, quite similar um, to Griff's, especially um, as it pertains to— um christian you know audiences people of faith people of faith background and that um is this idea that the gospel is supposed to be good news and if it's not good news for everybody it is not good news for anybody I love that.
1: Well, Griff Martin, Miles Markham, Markham, thank you so much for... Merging. Uh, yeah, I just merged your names. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being guests this week at Good Faith Weekly. We wish you the very best, and we are excited about the screening next Tuesday, June 21st at 6 p.m. on the campus of University of Texas. You can find out more about that event and register for that event on the social media platforms at Pray Away Film. Uh, make sure that you click on that, click on the link to their uh, eVite, and it uh, is going to be a wonderful event. So uh, we can't wait to hear more about it. So thank you both for being on the show today.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here. And
1: Thanks to our listeners, wish. thank you so much uh, for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly this week. Uh, as always, we appreciate uh, you and yours. And, and until then, keep living good faith. Good faith.